Amen. I want you to know that I don't mind having a spotlight shown on me, but not in the choir. I can tell you that. I, that's not one place I'm very comfortable. So we had a tenor over here playing, and we've got a couple of tenors out. And so uh, I just sort of play along with tenors. I'm not a real tenor, but with Billy. Anyway, thank you, choir. Y'all did a great job. We appreciate it. Um, we notice on our on our uh, apps now on our on our phones that uh, or wherever websites too, I guess that uh, the choir number is now uh, getting more hits than the sermon is. <laughs> so I, I know what one thing that's going on. The choir doesn't get to hear themselves, and so they like to hear that choir number, you know. So I want you to know that it wouldn't hurt if you do listen to it just to hit on it. You don't have to listen to the sermon, but. Uh, <laughs> If you'll just hit on it, I'd like to get back in front of the choir anyway, so we can do that. All right, our text today is in uh, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter of Paul to the 1 Corinthians, or to the Corinthians, his first letter, excuse me. There were not two different groups, 1 and 2 Corinthians, they're both Corinthians. And so uh, while we're standing here, I'm going to ask my deacons, ushers to come forward and now collect You'll come to the front, guys, and collect these going back. That way people can show them to you. Um, and you'll be able to collect those. I almost forgot. And, and if you're turning to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 is where we're going to be. I'm going to be speaking in the next couple of weeks on family. And, um, you know, when we talk about family, I first of all want to tell you this. That... Uh, there's no family that's perfect. Can we all say amen to that? Amen. Uh, so we all make lots of mistakes, all right? Which is being human for one thing. We make mistakes anyway. But in our families, in our families, you know, those are where some of the most glaring, I guess, kind of things occur to us. And so we want to know that God is gracious and we need to be gracious. So when I, if I end up pointing to you during this sermon somewhere, please note I have three fingers pointing right back at myself, okay? Uh, Jane is a very gracious woman, and uh, so uh, please note that. And I'm going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter, and I, take, uh, I, I pull from this chapter in wedding ceremonies. And so today, as we talk about love and marriage... I want us to think about these two, uh, uh, this scripture. And so uh, Paul at the end of chapter 12 says this, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. He's been talking about all kind of church matters. There's a lot of things I guess we think we could learn, we need to learn about church, and indeed we do. But this is the thing. This is the thing, if you miss it, you've missed it. And if you got it, you might not know a whole lot else, but this is the thing. Okay, and so if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy or preaching and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If, if all I possess I give to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I've gained nothing. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps record. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but delights or rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. And so I want us to think about the patience of love today. Love is patient. It says love is kind. He says here love's the greatest thing. It's the best thing. It's the key thing. We laugh a lot about the relations of of, uh, men and women. There's lots of, there should be lots of laughter. Needs to be. Um, And how men and women are so understood or misunderstood. There's a story about a woman who comes to her husband, she says, there's trouble with the car. It has water in the carburetor. Water in the carburetor, he said. That's ridiculous. You don't know anything about carburetors. What are you talking about? I'll check it out. Said, where's the car? She said, it's in the pool. <laughs> so I use a portion of this hymn to love in my marriage ceremonies. And I, when I counsel on, in premarital counseling, and uh, I talk about this as well, but it speaks as love as the key ingredient. I've got a book back there, and I show it to, my, uh, to those who are getting married when, in pre-counseling. I usually require a couple of sessions, sometimes three. And, uh, and I could take the list of the people I've married, and it would be about that thick. It'd be about that thick. And uh, when I look in that, I don't look through it often, but when I look in there, I will see in there some of the happiest people I know. They have, they have found love. They found marriage. Many of them have families. And they are blessed in their relations. Also, when I look through there, I'll see some of the most heartbreaking stories that I know anything about. There are no guarantees when you start out. There's only one thing that will see you through, and that is love in its fullest, fullest meaning. And we'll talk about that a little bit.
I wished I could have brought my chalkboard today. I would have given you my illustration that I like to do with uh, newlyweds. Uh, so anyway, off we go. The Bible says this. Jesus was asked one time, said, what's the greatest commandment? All these commandments in the Bible, what's the, what's the greatest one? He says this, you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is you love your neighbor as yourself. The whole Bible concerning obedience to Christ can be summed up in these two things. In these two things. So one thing we want to note here is that love is patient. Love can wait. Love is patient. Are you patient? Love, patience sometimes is, is uh, tried. Love is patient. Young people, I want to speak some to you this morning. You're growing up in a generation that is being swamped with the message about love, about what love is. That you, you can have love on any terms as long as you feel that you're ready as long as you feel that you're ready. And what young person wants to see themselves as someone who's not ready? Well, I'm telling you, that is, that is a big lie. Right out of hell. If you're going to follow your feelings in your life, you're going to make a lot of bad choices. Feelings are one thing. We'll get to that in a moment. A few years back, a revivalist stood in this very pulpit. This is a good many years back. Probably a couple of generations. And I remember he said, he said, uh, please don't get involved in sexual relations until you're married. He said, we see so many of you getting mixed, messed up. So the Christian teaching is that a person is to abstain from sex outside of marriage. That's what our Bible teaches us. So premarital and extramarital sex, any sex outside of God's gift of marriage, is something we are to avoid. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or an adult. That is the standard. And that requires patience. That requires waiting. Love is patient. Love is patient. Now again, when I'm talking this morning, I want you to know God's Word is full of grace. We'll get to that part too. But these are areas in all of our life. I remember old Mr. London, he used to sit right over there where Doug is sitting there in that second pew. He recorded all the messages right there and then a little tape recorder. He lived to be 100 years old. His wife lived to just 99.9 years old. She said the key to their marriage was, I asked her, she said, well, we just don't get mad at the same time. (laughs) There's something to that, isn't there? Love is patient. 
But he had a little Bible that he would give his, he, he taught the junior boys back then, which would be boys about from, I'd say, 10 to 13, somewhere in there. And in that Bible, he, he wrote the words, and they made a promise. I will abstain from alcohol, was what he asked them to promise. And they would sign their name, and they, would, they dated it. And I knew the boys. They, they were all grown up by the time I got to know them. And I asked each one of them about that signature that they made in that Bible. And uh, each one of them had held to that commitment in their life. There are commitments that we make to God and to ourselves that need to be kept. And it requires patience. It requires patience. And not everybody will cooperate with you. You can get in relationships and where the expectation is is that sexual involvement is the next step of that relationship. Way before there's ever any thought of marriage or, or anything. And uh, when you get in those situations, you're going to have to exercise your own volition. You cannot let them make the call. It's your commitment. A little, little test I gave myself to, to help when I was growing up. You see, we all grow up. We're all teenagers somewhere along the last way. And so, um, well, as you know what? I can't afford to raise a baby or have a wife. I don't have a house. I don't have a, I don't have a job enough to do anything. So I just better not. Because that's what you've got to be ready for. It's what you should be ready for if you're going to be responsible. Not that we don't fail. Even our deepest commitments to ourselves, sometimes we fail. That's human, okay? So don't bury yourself over it. It's... It's something about patience. One young man said it this way. He said, my name is Alonzo. He was from Mexico. I'm 23 years old. For me, it's really worth the trouble to keep myself a virgin, he said. Next year, I'm getting married, and I feel really happy to give this gift to my future wife. Because when you do this, it's like you're saying, hey, girl, you're so worthy to me. And you're dealing with her with dignity. When you're dating, you treat that other person with respect. And you treat yourself with respect. That's, don't let anybody force you. There's, there's commitments to love. You love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You love yourself. It says love your neighbor as yourself. You love family. You love your friends. You love your future mate and your future children. You go ahead and make up your mind. You're going to love them. One of the reasons we go to school and we go to college is we are trying to prepare ourselves for something. We're trying to ready ourselves for that place. And so in relationships, we need to prepare ourselves 
for the time we're going to be a, a mate and a parent and or a parent. So love is patient. Love is patient. And love is kind. Love is kind. It's patient and it's kind. Uh, a lot of marriages are, are hitting the rocks either by storm or by drifting. You can drift along and just hit the rocks. Or a storm can hit and crash, come crashing into your life. It's, it's exhilarating to fall in love. Um, you know, there's nothing like it. Um, we also know it's very easy to fall out of love. You can fall in it and you can fall out of it just, just as quickly if you're not nurturing it. And, and while finding love is one of our greatest personal needs, why is it so difficult that we, see we have trouble staying in love? Staying in love. And one of the reasons is because we're not allowing whatever love we have to grow. Love is a living matter. It has to grow in our life. It has to continue to grow. It's like a garden. It has to be nurtured. You can't just let it go. You can't just think it's going to happen. You can't just take it for granted. If we take it for granted, then it's, it's going to grow wild. It'll go. And so love is, it needs nurturing. It needs tending. If we neglect it, it will die. It needs cultivation. And here, and there are a few things we can follow. You know, you can marry the right person and and treat them wrong, and you become, it becomes the wrong person. You become the wrong person. Some of us might think we marry the wrong person, but you know what? If we treat that wrong person with love, we might find out that's the right person. That's the one that God has given us in our life. And so, here are some things. We just think about things to help keep our love alive and growing, and I'm just going to ramble along here. I'm kind of in a rambling mood today. Um, one, one is dealing with anger. Anger is like one of the main ingredients that gets in our relationships. And we all got it. Okay, so it's not like it's not any of us. Some of us may be exploders. Some of us may be brooders. But we're dealing with love sometimes in our own ways. Um, sometimes we can use our anger to control. Do not. When you are dating, you find out if you are dealing with a controlling person. The time to get away is as soon as you can. <laughs> Don't let somebody control you. I mean, be obsessed with keeping you. What I said about James Leash was a sense of humor, believe me. I'm the one, if anybody needs to be on a leash, and she's told me she's cutting the cord. <laughs> I gotta I gotta make my own appointments at the doctor. I gotta, you know, cutting the cord. I'm letting you be. Anger can turn into self-pity. Nothing makes you more unattractive than self-pity. We get hurt, we get hurt. 
but don't wallow in self-pity. Never sleep on an angry word. That's just a little piece of advice. Don't go to bed angry. Some of us may be sitting up for three or four days. (laughs) But anger must not rule our life. We We resolve to deal with the differences we have peacefully in some way. Sometimes when we're angry, we have the right to be angry. But that doesn't give us the right to be cruel with each other. Don't make each other feel absurd or disrespected. Respect is an ingredient that has to be between married couples. Building each other's esteem. Words hurt. We think about domestic violence. Well, that's one thing, but words hurt. They're deep. I've seen couples that publicly humiliate each other. Don't ever humiliate your spouse in public. Don't demean them. Don't don't show them disrespect. It's one thing to have a sense of humor, if you know what sense of humor is, but it's another thing to demean one another in public. At the, when you're out with a, another couple or you're out with a group of people or whatever. And buy into each other's dreams. Both, both people in a marriage have dreams. And it's not just for one to support the dreams of the one. Both have to support the dreams of each other. That's part of, that's part of what it means to love. Love their dreams. Cooperate with each other. So another thing is, is communication. Uh, you've got to keep talking. You've got to make sure you've got time to talk. And here again is, is important why you don't get sexually involved before you really, 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 really know somebody. Because then you're short-circuiting the whole communication thing. Um, communicate, talk, share. It needs to be like a stream. It needs to be something that just picks up whenever we're with each other. A farmer walked into a lawyer's office and he said, I'd like to get one of them there divorces. Yes, sir, I can help you, said the lawyer. Do you have any grounds? Oh, yes, I've got about 140 acres out back of the house there. No, no, he said, I mean, do you have a case? No, sir, I I drive one of them John Deere's. (laughs) You don't understand, said the lawyer. You you need something like a grudge. Oh, I I got one of those. That's where I park my John Deere. (laughs) The lawyer's getting frustrated. He says, sir, you've got to have a reason to divorce your wife. Does she beat you up or anything? No, sir, I pert near get out of bed every morning before she does. (laughs) Finally, the lawyer shouted, well, why... Do you want a divorce? Well, said the lawyer, she says we just can't communicate. Had a hard time being understood. That's the punchline, by the way. (laughs) You laughed all the way to the punchline. I'm going to take that one out. But love love is a matter of communicating and talking. 
and just sharing. It shouldn't be something we make ourselves do. It should be something that we have, we enjoy talking and sharing. Love is kind in speech, and I've already mentioned that. Speak softly. Uh, uh, Tell what it is that you admire about each other. It's easy to get into sort of criticize and be critical. And, you know, negative words have power to tear down. They have power to eat away at us. Uh, they, have, they have a diminishing power about them. So criticism, is, you know, should really be used very carefully. Very carefully. But positive words have even greater power. Positive words have a wonderful power. And when we are affirming each other, we're finding ways to build up each other, uh, then they have power to bless a life. They have power to nourish a life. They have power to, to help restore hurts and so forth. And so love is kind in your speech. Like I said before, marriage needs nurturing. Uh, Jesus told a church one time that it had gotten... Uh, out of it lost its love and this is the book of revelations the first church she spoke to ephesus chapter two remember your first love remember who it is you've fallen in love with remember the beautiful person that you believe in and trust and love and care about that's the person you married that's the person you're with Treat each other with kindness, verbally, physically, emotionally. Desire what is best for him or her. Not what you desire first. Desire what is best for each other. Um, Someone said, I've learned that regardless of how hot and steamy a relationship is at first, that passion can fade and there better be something else to take its place. And I, When I'm in marriage counseling, premarital counseling, I talk about your feelings can, as you, as you go along and grow older, they, they come and go like waves. And sometimes there's a time when the feelings are not there. And it can be less, and you need to be patient, right? Wait. Wait on one another. Be patient with each other. Um, you know, we might think of falling in love and the early time of marriage as being like a rocket blasting off emotionally. It's just exhilarating. But somewhere that rocket's got to it's got to change to, to accomplish the mission of orbiting. There's more, there's more to life than just blasting off. You've got to learn how to keep moving together. And, and we, we nurture. We nurture that. Keep, keep, your, keep your thought life pure. Inappropriate thoughts lead to inappropriate actions. And so we've got to guard over our minds and our eyes and our thoughts. It takes years to build up trust 
It can only take seconds to destroy that trust. And so be faithful to the promises that you're making as best you possibly can. The me must become we. The Bible talks about when we marry, we become like one flesh. It's a shared life. We have found in the other person the greatest treasure that we believe we'll ever find is that other person. He or she will be my greatest treasure. And it takes a lot of grace, takes a lot of grace to make a marriage and family. I see you nodding back there, Gloria. I could go back and interview that couple right there if I wasn't afraid of embarrassing them, but I'll embarrass them a little bit. But there has to be some forgiveness along the way and some I'm sorries. And it takes grace on both parts. You know, if you're going to have a friend, for instance, there's going to be a time when you get hurt every once in a while. And you've got to know how and learn how to forgive if you're ever going to have a friend and keep a friend. So it's more, love is more than a feeling. Uh, there was a marriage seminar, a man came up to a speaker and he said, I like, to, I like what you're saying, but every situation is different. Look at my marriage. I'm really worried. My wife and I don't have the same feelings we used to have. I guess I just don't love her anymore and she does not love me. What can I do? And the leader said, the feeling isn't there anymore. That's right. And we have three children. We're really concerned. What do you suggest? He said, love her. Well, I told you the feeling isn't there anymore. Love her. Well, you don't understand the feeling of love just isn't there. Then love her. But how do you love when you don't feel love? And the, and the, the counselor said this. He said, love is a verb, not a feeling. Love is something you do. Love is, is, is an action. You do loving things. You do the things that require love. Feeling, he said, is the fruit of love, the verb. Feeling is the fruit of love when love is a verb. You know, everything that feels good is not necessarily good for you. Last night, I ate too much. And then I topped it off with some ice cream. And sometime during the night, I woke up and set up. Some of that food was reacting to my tender stomach. So he tells this man, he said, serve her, sacrifice, listen to her, empathize, appreciate, affirm her. He said, are you willing to do that? You know, anybody that's watched Hollywood over any period of time, not just recently, but any period of time, generally the scripts go, obey your feelings. So whatever your feelings are, obey them. We're not responsible. That's not 
That's not our reality. That's what they say. Our feelings control our actions. And you see over and over again, it's flagged before us all the time. You know, there's practically no news outlet now that doesn't tell you everything about all these actors and actresses. And, and many of them are failing. Feelings can be reca- recaptured by acting. And you know, I realize, I realize that there are times when it, it has to be both people. It, one person cannot make a marriage. I get it. I'm not saying that every marriage ought to continue to go on. If, if there's one that's just not going to be there to make it, or both, or either, then it's not going to make it. It takes, it takes two people. And I would say it also takes the Lord. It's like a stool, you know, a, two, a two-legged stool will not stand. A three-legged stool will stand. Love always takes the right turn. Uh, the love chapter says this, it loves not just a feeling, it's not just words, it's not just an, an attitude, it does the right thing for the right reason. It's faithful. And therefore it has hope and it abides. Put God first, you put God first. Whatever relationship you have, if God's not first in that relationship, no matter how much we love each other, if God's not put first, then, then we're missing out on the key ingredient, I believe. When you say vows to one another, you're saying them not only to each other, but before God. And these are vows to keep to Him. Vows to Him. And so, put God first, and then the order will get right. That spouse will be second. Not third, not fourth. They're second. It's God first, and then your spouse. Then, if you have children, perhaps. Vows, vows before God matter. And so in your earthly relations, there's no other person, no other lover, no other friend, no job, no work, no pleasure or recreation, no possession that should become first over the one who is the light of your eye, the one you love. You put love in God first, and then the right priorities follow. So, so it says faith, hope, love, these three. Faith first, right? Faith in God first. Hope. Faith gives you hope. Faith gives you a sense of worthiness before God. I've been forgiven. Faith and hope. And then love has to do with our relation then to others. To our spouse first, so forth. Well, Lord, uh, your scriptures, Lord, I think are affirming to us. I think they're very encouraging. I think that deals with the reality that we're in. In this room right here, practically every person is in family. 
And every person knows the hurts. And sometimes I've known them deeply. And in every one of our lives, there's been times of failure. As in our spouse's life, our children's lives. But I see in the Scriptures a very affirming and loving God who is there to help us set things in the right direction. And to give us a heart of love that speaks, that works, speaks and works. And not only touches with our voice, but touches, Lord, with our hands and our heart. Lord, in serving one another. So I pray for our lives. I pray for myself. I pray for me and my wife. And I pray, Lord, for my family. And I pray for my church family. And I pray for our marriages. And I pray, Lord, for our relationships, even before marriages. That, God, we will, we will seek with all our heart to approach things in a God-obeying way. Well, we recognize that you, you, have, you are before us and you provide, Lord, your commandments that they might protect us and, Lord, project us into healthy relationships. We thank you for Jesus Christ who modeled to us the way to live. And we thank you that God, he also came to die on the cross for our sins. All our failures, all our wrongdoings, inside to our loved ones, to everyone, Lord, toward everyone, Jesus bore on the cross. He knows the pain, and yet he forgives. So Lord, help us to look realistically at our life, and Lord, say to you, God, I want your grace in my life. I want to really grow in love, and I want to know how to nurture love in relation to others. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the instrumentalists if they will just play. Um, and I'm going to ask us to stand. And just bow your head today and let's just pray before the Lord today just to give our, give our life to the Lord, to ask Him to lead us and guide us and keep us.